0: Well, this morning I was rummaging through the uh, posts on Instapundit. Did I say rummaging? I meant to say quietly and thoughtfully perusing the posts on Instapundit and uh, saw a number of posts, obviously, about the Trump-Mar-a-Lago raid and especially interested in the comments. And in the comment stream for one of them was a great deal of talk about recriminations and when we recover the House and the Senate, we're going to launch these investigations and how we're going to get back at these people and all this other stuff. And in the middle of all of this rancor, was a kind, decent, quiet, patriotic voice of reason. And that person wrote, Guys, that's not who we are. And he's right. That is not who we are. It's who they are. And the problem is that if you listen to the voice of sanity, when you're arguing with insane people, you're going to lose it is so difficult for us to understand just how truly venal our opposition is we can't get our heads around it i think about it every day it's my job i can't get my head around it i don't think i ever will be able to understand that people could be that malicious that mendacious but they are and if you don't accept that then okay that's how they got to this position they know who they are and they know who we are too. They know we're people who respect the rule of law, they know we're people who love the country, they know we're people who, who understand what adherence to process has gotten us in terms of prosperity and freedom and all the rest. And they've been using that against us from the beginning. And every single time that something like this Mar-a-Lago raid happens, more and more and more of us, I I uh, actually got on board this boat quite a while ago, begin to realize that that you cannot You cannot fight people whose only rules are there are no rules by following the rules. You now have a choice. You either change your strategy or you lose. And when you lose, it means you lose the country. If you lose the country, that means you lose freedom. And it won't come back for hundreds, if not thousands of years. So what do we do about all this? Well, first of all, let's just take a look at what actually happened with the Mar-a-Lago raid. I don't have any insider information, but I have watched what these people do. And I know who they are. I've watched what they are. And I have a theory about this. Now, Prior to Trump's election in 2016, many commentators were saying, my God, the Democrats are ruling as if they'll never be out of power again. And the reason that it looked that way was because they were ruling as if they thought they'd never be out of power again, because they thought they would never be out of power again. And then along comes this cosmic ray, this fluke, some kind of quantum irregularity. And Donald Trump, despite all odds, wins in 2016 larger than their ability to manufacture the margin of error. And when that sank in, and it didn't take very long, really only took a couple of three, four, five, six days until Hillary sobered up for the charges of Russian collusion to begin to be launched against Donald Trump by the Hillary Clinton campaign and the FBI. This isn't my speculation. This isn't me coming up with weird theories. This is proven documentable fact. So why did she go down that road? Well, I suspect that Hillary went down the road of Russian collusion with Donald Trump because she had been colluding with the Russians. She sold, what was it, a third of America's uranium supply to the Russians in exchange for a $100,000 speaking engagement for Bill and his donation to the Clinton uh, Charitable Foundation, which distributed something like, four, I don't know, at least 4 or 5% of the total money they raised actually went to charity. So Accusing Trump of colluding with the Russians was preemptive, and when you launch a preemptive attack like that, what you're basically saying is, you're colluding with the Russians. Oh no, madam, it turns out that I've got the evidence that you're colluding with the Russians. Now it's just he said, she said, literally in this particular case. You see, you tarnish your opponent with what you did. You make the accusations, and with the help of the megaphone of the press, who long ago stopped being the immune system for the Republic's body. Instead of going after pathogens no matter where they were, now they're like an allergic reaction. They attack the tissue of the Republic, that'd be us, if it turns out that they've been indoctrinated to do so. So, preemptive attack. Saw the same thing at the phone call to the Ukraine where Donald Trump abused executive power by meddling in Ukrainian uh, affairs. Anybody who knows anything about that situation knows that what Donald Trump did was he got in touch with the legal authorities in the Ukraine and wanted to know why the prosecutor who was investigating Hunter Biden's criminal activities was pulled off of the case by Joe Biden as vice president. He wasn't intruding in the politics of Ukraine. He was inquiring why an American vice president by the name of Joe Biden was intruding in the policies of the Ukraine. He basically said, you either get this guy off my son's back or you're not going to get your billion dollars in in, uh, military aid. Accuse him of what you've been doing, you see? Accuse him of what you've been doing. That's what they do because that's who they are. Now, where does that leave us with the mar a raid? Well, I don't know any of this to be real. Of course, I'm just aware of what actually happened. So I have some speculation and speculation is what it is. My first thought when I saw this was, if they continue to follow the pattern that they followed in the past, they're going to be accusing Trump of something that they've already done, that they have upcoming evidence to show that they are about to get in trouble. And I suspect personally suspect that the evidence on Hunter Biden's laptop, which is in fact, slowly making its way through the investigation, despite all the stonewalling in the, and the, and the media and the press and tech giants and all the rest more and more physical concrete evidence, not just emails photographs are coming to light showing that it wasn't just Hunter Biden who was making deals with these unsavory characters and it wasn't just an offhand reference to the big guy getting his 10%. More and more and more evidence was showing that that Joe Biden was fully aware that he was trading his influence as vice president of the United States in exchange for cash to bail out his son and he gets his 10%. I think that evidence got to the point where it's essentially overwhelming. We the Biden crime family are prepared to sell out America for money, and unfortunately, because of hunter's um, lack of discipline, uh, there seems to be some hard evidence out there that is that is going to prove that and so what we 'll do is we will ad- we will accuse Donald Trump of doing what we 've done we'll accuse him of exactly the same thing. you, sir, have taken money from a foreign government and betrayed America, and that 's why we decided to raid your house. And, uh, and God saved the republic. So now, even if nothing comes of the Trump raid for them, they will at least have inoculated, as they did with Hillary and as they did with the Ukrainian thing, they will have inoculated themselves against the charges, which will make it just look like now, instead of charges, it'll just look like you know mean-spirited mud-tossing. That's something they're very, very good at. That's, that's my primary theory. I don't know if there's anything to it. I do know for a certain fact, however, and I don't think there's much room for doubt about this, that the raid on, uh, on Donald Trump's house in Mar-a-Lago was certainly a fishing expedition. And I don't mean the kind of fishing expedition with, with uh, you know, Sheriff Taylor and, and Opie. I mean the kind of thing where you go looking for something in order to stick your political opponents. Now so let me explain to you how this works. I'd love to take credit for this, but it wasn't me. It was the irreplaceable and the irrepressible Dan Bongino, who had on his show a few days ago, uh, a friend of his, I think, who had, had been an FBI agent and had also been a defense attorney. So he saw both sides of this angle. And in this conversation, his guest pointed out to Dan something that, that Dan thought was very important and I thought was very important too. The law says That if you can obtain a warrant for a limited search, I'm looking for this. I'm looking for a document that says nuclear secret code for sale to Russians, price $400 billion trillion, and that's what I'm looking for. The law says that if I have a warrant to go in and look for that, if I happen to discover anything else it's not excluded. In other words, the example that he used was that if you go in looking for some kind of of an illicit gun problem or, or a tax problem or whatever, and they find a pile of cocaine on your desk, the investigators are not obligated to exclude that evidence. That now becomes a crime. I hope that's clear for everybody. It was certainly clear for me when I heard it. The reason that you can issue a warrant to go into his house is not just to look for the things you're claiming to look for. In the process of looking for those things, you poke around and see what else he might find. Maybe he's hiding these nuclear codes in one of Melania's uh, bras or something because that's why you had to search her her wardrobe. Or maybe it's uh, hidden in his passports or maybe it's hidden somewhere else. But an even more important point came out of that same conversation again with the wonderful Dan Bongino. And and that was the perspective of his guest, who had been an FBI agent and a defense attorney against this kind of thing. He said to him that the big tell, that the entire thing was a farce, was when the FBI locked Trump's attorneys out of the search. And the reason for that is extremely obvious if you think it over. Speaking now as a defense attorney, his guest said, look, if I'm the FBI, I want Trump's attorneys with me the whole time. I want them with me because if I'm going in to recover evidence, and this is a legitimate investigation, then I want his lawyers there, not only as evidence that I'm playing it by the rules, but also the lawyers will prevent me from overstepping my boundaries. And and that means that the evidence that I do collect will be Untainted and will in fact stand up in court. He said the fact that they locked the attorneys outside Incredibly weakens the FBI case because there's no longer a chain of custody There's no longer a history of how it was discovered all of that stuff He said the second speaking again as a former FBI agent and a defense attorney both sides They said the second he heard that the the Trump's attorneys were not allowed to be there for this um, for this rummaging of the house told him that this whole thing was a farce because if it had been real, it would have been in the FBI's interest to have Donald Trump's lawyers on their shoulders with cameras documenting everything they did. That's an irrefutable argument to me. Sometimes logic is really your friend and there's no way around it. So we know it was a fishing expedition. Now, of course, in the days after the raid, we heard the motive for all of this. In In the minutes, I should say, after the raid, the motive. And what a motive it is. Evil trader Donald Trump, you see, had kept nuclear secrets at his house, and he was going to sell them to his Russian masters. He was going to sell it for money. Remember what I said about accusing people of the things that you've already done? But let's just think this through for a minute, shall we? The president is followed at all times by an officer who is holding a briefcase, which is handcuffed to his wrist, and that's generally known as the football. And the football contains the launch codes for America's nuclear arsenal. Why does an officer follow the president with this thing handcuffed to his wrist? Well, because the launch codes are the most sensitive information that we have, the most valuable information we could possibly obtain. So why does it have to travel with him all the time? Why didn't Donald Trump just memorize the launch codes? Why doesn't he have the launch codes in his pocket on a piece of paper? Because Stephen Colbert, they changed the launch codes pretty much every day. I'd be surprised if they didn't change them every hour. The reason there's a football is because these codes are changed on such a frequent basis. That's why we have security used to anyway to say that Donald Trump had nuclear secrets that he would eventually sell some point, 7, 8 10, 15, 20, 17 months after he leaves office that he would sell to the Russians. He's going to sell them access to American launch codes or nuclear secrets. Whatever Donald Trump may have had on that, and there's no evidence that anything on it, mind you, but whatever evidence he might've had on that, any, any documents were obsolete the day that he put them in a drawer. In fact, they were obsolete before he even had them printed out. So that idea is ridiculous. And it also kind of goes to who these people are, too, because I know, I know who they are. Think about what they're basically saying. They're basically saying Donald Trump sold out the country for money. And what they're thinking in their little heads, I think, is they're thinking, yeah, yeah, that's what I would do. Because if I had money... If I had real money, you know, if I sold this to the to the Soviets or the Russians, rather, for millions, tens of millions, hundreds, billions of dollars, if I got billions of dollars, whoa! If I had billions of dollars, think these weasels, I would, man, if I was that rich, I would, I would build skyscrapers and casinos, and I'd have my name in golden letters across all of them. Oh, oh, yeah, that is kind of a problem, isn't it? It's a little difficult. To make the case that Donald Trump did something for money. Donald Trump has all the money he could ever spend. This is the thing I like about Donald Trump. That's the reason why I think Donald Trump is fundamentally honest is because he's the first president that I've been aware of since Ronald Reagan, certainly, who didn't need the money, who didn't get rich through politics. To accuse him of doing it for the money is what you would do if you're one of these people. Wish I had a lot of money certainly not smart enough or hard work enough to go make it in the private sector. How could I do it? Here you go. I just listed a few speculations about what might have caused Merrick Garland and the FBI to launch this, and and people have speculated that what they were really after were documents that Trump may have had showing, proving just how corrupt Merrick Garland and the FBI really were. But put that aside for a second. I think the actual go, no-go decision was predicated on this. This is my personal opinion, but I think the evidence is strong for it. I think what they basically said was, we're going to launch this raid and either we're going to find stuff that we can get to stick to Donald Trump and put him in jail, or we won't. And if we don't, this will be enough of a provocation to cause those violent, racist, homophobic, transphobic, misogynist, knuckle-dragging, low-sloping forehead savages out in flyover country to really, really get angry. I think that the Donald Trump raid was designed to increase the temperature on conservatives so that they would do something that was actual instead of what they've accused us of doing on on January 6th, which was not getting the ratings that they really hoped for. I think it was a no-lose situation for them. I think that's how they perceived it. Turns out, fortunately, that while these people are Beyond our ability to imagine in terms of evil, they're not beyond our ability to imagine in terms of bright. They're not very smart people. If they were smart people, they'd be out in the private sector making money and being happy, kind of like the guy they hate so much. But I think a provocation was the primary cause for it. And so far, so far, we haven't risen to the bait. And I think that that is really bothering them. So where do we go from here? Well, let me start by saying that I don't know about you, but this whole thing just makes me... It doesn't even make me ill. It just makes me... It doesn't even make me sad. It just makes me inert, you know? After the initial shock of it and the anger of it, it just makes you feel hopeless. It just makes you feel like, okay, all right, I see, all right. And that's what it's designed to do. But what I think is interesting here is that the American people... The right third of the country and the middle third of the country. The left third of the country is irredeemably indoctrinated, but the right third and the middle third are all reaching the point that I think that I, that I suppose the founding fathers and, and those patriots must have reached prior to the Declaration of Independence. That's where I kind of feel like we are right now. Let's not forget that when we look at the history of the American Revolution, it's the blue coats versus the red coats, and go go team America. But for the people who were in those blue uniforms, many of them had been in the red uniforms a year or two before. And in the minds of George Washington and all the rest of these these patriots, they weren't fighting a foreign power. They were fighting their own king and their own government. This is the thing that most people don't realize about the revolution is just how emotionally jarring how, 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 how... traumatic it must have been for these people to finally reach the point where they decided they're going to have to take up arms against the government that they swore allegiance to and that they loved. Prior to the Declaration of Independence, and after enough abuses had happened, there was a tiny interregnum period in there. And during this period, the founding fathers and the Constitutional Convention folks, all those guys, basically being reasonable people, being good, sane, decent people, the kind of people we are, wrote a letter to King George basically saying your majesty speaking as your loyal subjects we're telling you that that all of the assurances that we had as british subjects are being taken away from us we have no representation and you know the whole list the whole list of grievances and they sent that letter to king george hoping hoping that the system would save the situation and that's where i feel like we are right now i think we're looking at an election in november and we are hoping and believing that using the system in November, we will be able to recover the legal means to fix this problem. And if it turns out that there is convincing evidence that that legal means has been taken from us, then they are leaving us essentially with no choice whatsoever. The same way that they left the people who founded this country with no choice whatsoever whatsoever wasn't what they wanted. They didn't want this. They wanted the king to stop being a dick, basically. That's what the revolution was all about. So in a few months, we go to the to the polls. Oh, sorry. Uh, in a few months begins the season-long process of mailing in as many ballots as we particularly feel inclined to mail in. And we will determine whether or not we still have a system that provides us with redress against the uh, offenses of the government. Many people are, are not optimistic about this, and I certainly share their concerns. However, one of the things I've been saying that I think bears mentioning is, in every single war, you get one sneak attack to start the war. After Pearl Harbor, the first thing we did was make sure that there were not going to be any more Pearl Harbors. We're not going to ignore any more of these radar warnings we got. We're not going to leave the ships sitting there without training. We're not going, to, not, not going to go without patrols. After the sneak attack on Pearl Harbor and the shock and the confusion and the sheer disbelief of it all, the first thing we did was make sure that that particular sneak attack didn't happen again. After 9-11, the exact same thing. We sat there in, in horror and disbelief, absolutely gobsmacked, at what we were seeing in front of our own eyes, and then the first thing we did was make sure that well, we don't know how they're going to strike next, but we're going to do whatever we can to make sure that it's not going to be through airliners. And that was mostly due to having American passengers aware of the fact that they were going to be weapons in the future, and we deterred a lot more of these attempts than than the federal government did. At least, at least that's what we know. And so I look at the events of November 2020 as a sneak attack, as an attack on America from it from an from a vector that we were utterly blindsided by. We simply could not believe it. It was so flagrant. It was so obvious. It was so stunning. It was so horrifying. It was so gobsmacking that you would just stand there with your mouth open looking at these election returns the next day the same way that those sailors must have stood there on Sunday morning on December 7th and, and just looked at all these burning battleships in the same way those New Yorkers and all the rest of us on TV just sat there looking at our TVs with our mouths open watching these towers come down. It is the power of a sneak attack to leave you immobile and speechless. But... When the dust settles, and I mean that literally, in the case of New York, certainly, then you find that that avenue is no longer open to you. All that to say simply this, this November, and certainly in uh, November of 2024, the idea that poll workers will go home because the people running those polling districts have said, oh, we're shutting down for the night, that's not going to happen again that's not going to happen again. We saw that happen in in Atlanta when all those poll workers were watching and they said, we're closing for the night, we're going to seal the documents, come back tomorrow morning, we'll reopen them. And everybody just kind of went away. It's not going to happen again. I suspect the number of people at the polls this time is going to be much greater. I suspect that all of the Possible checks and balance that an outraged citizenry can put into place will be there I don't think that they can get away with it again And I certainly don't think they can get away with it again given the magnitude of of the Of the damage that they've done and the desire of, of American people to use the system to undo that damage and one final piece of evidence about Who they are? What they are? As you undoubtedly know by now, a bill is in the process of becoming law that will authorize 87,000 new IRS agents. That bill authorizing 87,000 new IRS agents tells us that they are addicted to spending, that their greed and their, and their corruption knows no limits, that we need another 87,000 people to assume that every single member of the of the uh, citizenry of this republic is a criminal and investigate them making sure that uh, you know that they're toeing the line the hiring of that many IRS agents which would make them six times more numerous than Border Patrol which is allowing 2,000 illegal immigrants a month into the country now I think did I say 2,000 I'm sorry I meant to say 2 million that tells you not only that they're that they're all-consuming addiction for spending other people's money is not abating, but rather growing. It also tells you that they assume that every single American citizen is cheating and dishonest because what else would they think when they're cheating and dishonest people? And that's alarming enough. But when you find out that the job description says that 87,000 people, one of the requirements would be that you might have to be willing to carry a firearm and be available on 24 hour notice, and be willing to use deadly force. I didn't invent this, folks. This is not me speculating. This is in the Department of Treasury list of requirements for these new agents. That's telling me that these people are not just greedy, that this is in fact a private governmental army, and that the reason they chose the IRS is fundamentally because the IRS comes with the kind of intimidation factor that the black uniforms and the skulls on the peaked caps used to provide, that people are already afraid of the IRS and the idea that the IRS might be armed is something that they think might have a big effect on us, but that's blowing up in their face too, because as I said, they're very, very evil, but they're, they're not very smart. I hope and believe that this 87,000 person private army launched against the American people will go the same way as the uh, Ministry of Truth that they tried to institute several uh, months ago. But if it doesn't, we'll be ready for that too. All of this tells us that we are dealing with people who have the levers of government and are at war with the citizens of this country. We didn't declare this war. This isn't an insurrection. This is a defensive action. We are being assaulted on a daily basis. And the main reason that you raid a billionaire former president's home and go fishing for something to catch him with, main reason for that, is to let every single one of us know that if we can do that to him, we can do that to you. Keep those levels of fear up. It's not working on me. I suspect it's not working on you either. I'll close by telling you the one thing I heard that that cheered me the most during this last week's catastrophe and debacle and further disintegration of, of tradition and, and and civility and comity and all the rest of it. Because you can't undo this now. Once you've raided a former president for political reasons, that's done. This is what you do in Modana Republics. We can't undo it. But I heard somebody, and, and again, forgive me for not remembering the name because in the flood of information I get from the Internet, I see a lot of stuff. But of all the things I heard that cheered me up the most, this was the thing that actually made me smile and and nod my head. Somebody somewhere said, okay, so let's say they arrest Donald Trump and let's say Donald Trump is in jail come November of 2024. All right, then we elect him president and then we send the Chief Justice down to the jail to swear him in and once he's sworn in, he pardons himself and then we go about the business of cleaning up this mess. And I thought, yeah we could do that and still be who we are.